This is Changing the Rules, a podcast about designing the life you want to live. Hosted by Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world. Good morning, everybody. This is Casey Dempster, and you're listening to Changing the Rules, a podcast about building, designing the life you want and then living it to the fullest. And in a few minutes, we're going to talk with our guest, Dr. Pete Anderson, who has done just that. But first, I have to say good morning to Ray Lowe. Hi, everybody. So we're here in the wonderful Wildfire Studios. I think we're going to have to put that on your logo, Taylor, at the beginning. <laughs> wonderful. But but it is a wonderful place. And uh, we have uh, started a podcast. We started about a year ago, and we had no idea of what we were doing. And the great people at Wildfire were able to lead us along. And uh, we're still here, so that's a good thing. Yeah. And, uh, and if you uh, have the need to uh, do a podcast at some point in time, get some help, and the people at Wildfire are wonderful people to work with. So we're talking today about one of the luckiest people in the world. And let me remind everybody that the luckiest people in the world are people who design their own lives and then step into them and live them to the max. And uh, you're going to find our person of the day is interesting for several reasons. One, because he's my foe. <laughs> yes, okay. he's Ray's arch nemesis. So, so let's bring on Dr. Pete Anderson. Pete, are you there? Yes, I am, Ray. Okay, so uh, I have to say, to begin with, that uh, I'm a swimming competitor, and uh, I have three, I have two other true competitors. <laughs> and fortunately, they don't live in the northeast part of the country, so I get I, I get some freedom here. But if ever we get to a national conference or I go west, I have Dr. Peter Anderson, who actually is one of the best breaststroke swimmers in the world, and and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. And and then if we go south, we have another one in Florida, and Pete and I both have to uh, have to to work really hard under those circumstances. Is that correct, Peter? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell us a little bit about your early history, and uh, uh, I think it's going to lead to where we want to go, which is the brand new book that you're writing. But, but uh, you grew up in a working class family, and what was your what was your first uh, uh, experience when it came to the swimming world? Well, strangely enough, Ray, my mother did not know how to swim, and so she might have been a little overprotective. The other factor was, of course, when I was 10 years old, it was 1953, and uh, the polio epidemic was going on. We're kind of familiar with what viruses cause. Mm. So um, she thought that the virus could be transmitted through swimming pools. Well, she didn't want me to go swimming, obviously. And um, and so I uh, I didn't really learn to swim until I was about eight. I had to put my foot down. I said, Mom, all my buddies are up there in the big pool. And I'm down here in the kiddie pool. <laughs> I'm fit up. I'm not doing that anymore. And so she got me into some lessons, and I learned to swim. And I remember one time after I learned to swim, at, I think around between 8 and 10, that I wanted to see how far I could go without even touching the wall. So I remember swimming 500 yards, but I was only like 10 or 11 years old. And wow. um, just didn't want to touch the bottom because I didn't want to drown. But then again, I nearly had a drowning experience because I jumped in water that I was that time four and a half feet tall, and I jumped in water that was five feet deep <laughs> right underneath the guard chair, and the guard didn't see me, so I had to just thrash my way back to the wall to uh, 
save myself. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, it was a good, good, uh, good life. And, yeah. Um, but, and yet mm-hmm. swimming became such an important part of your life. And, and uh, we're going to see that it had such a big impact on where you're going to with your new book and the, the help that you're trying to give it to other people. So uh, let me give a little history here. Uh, 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 Dr. Pete went to perhaps the best swimming school in the country, if maybe not the world. That was the, it was Indiana University. Right. And you were surrounded there with some of the best in the world, weren't you? Yes, I was, Ray. And, um, you know, I, I, well, actually, what would happen, we moved from this northwest suburb of Chicago. My mother had graduated from Evanston Township High School, uh, where Northwestern University is. So it was a very good high school. And I had really, really great coaches, Davy Burton, Taskmaster. And um, the strange part of it was, when we did a little age group workout when I was still in Arlington Heights, the suburb, a workout was something like 200 yards. <laughs> so I go, I joined the high school swim team, and the first thing we did as freshmen, we swam 500 yards, and then we kicked 500 yards, and we pulled 500 yards. Wow! So it went 1,500 yards, and that was our just our warm up. <laughs> so it was a, a rude introduction to the world of competitive swimming, but I stuck it out, and. Uh, through those coaches, uh, they uh, they instilled a work ethic in me, and I had wanted to be a good coach. I, I, I admired my coaches so much that I thought I could be a coach. And my mom said, because, you know, high school kids get to the point, what am I going to study? What am I going to do? Who am I going to be? Mm. And my mother said, you know, your moms know you. I mean, they, they know you better than you know yourself at times. And she suggested maybe I become a physical education teacher because I was good in a, in a lot of sports, you know, things. So I decided with my coaches, and my coaches helped me get into Indiana University. I was kind of a dunce. I didn't really know what was there, but <laughs> later I learned that there were nine world record holders there. Wow. And I'm sitting in lanes as a freshman right next to the world record holder and the guy who would have been the world record holder if he wasn't there. <laughs> wow. And, and I'm keeping up with them. And, of course, the other part of the story is that I graduated from high school. I was five foot six, 125 pounds. I was considered to be a runt. <laughs> and, and so I got picked on in my freshman year in college, unmercifully. Um, and, and, of course, I felt bad because I'm swimming in lanes with all these world record holders. And I went on to become a five-time All-American. But I felt bad because I wasn't a world record holder. <laughs> you know, so the, the level of expectation was so high that we just lived with it. We just did it. And, and in fact, they gave me a nickname, Petey Do, because I was a doer. <laughs> I just got in the pool and did it. I didn't think about it. So, and I mean, that's kind of how all this evolved. Uh, so my, so what, when did you hit your growth spurt? Because I know you're more than five, six now. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I, I, we had a swim log. We were encouraged to do that, keep track of your times and workouts and stuff so that you have a goal to know what you want to beat in the next practice. And I, I recall looking at that. I was five foot six, 125 pounds in June of 61 when I graduated. Ten months later, we're at the National AAU Championships in Bartlesville, Oklahoma in April. Ten months later, we had a Toledo scales in the uh, locker room. I got on it, and gee whiz, I've gained 32 pounds. And when I got home, I took my height. I had grown five and a half inches in 10 months. Wow. Wow. I, I do recall a, 
a message I asked my parents, hey, can I have 20 bucks to go get a pair of jeans and, and, and a couple <laughs> of flannel shirts? Because, you know, they were up to my arms. You know? <laughs> yeah, you were wearing floods yeah. and you didn't even choose yeah. that. <laughs> so so w- without going into the specifics right now, swimming had a major impact on where you are today. And, and it, it had to do with your work ethic, I think, and it had to do with your goal setting and what you saw that you wanted. Uh, was there anything else that came out of that that you can think of? No, that's pretty much it, Ray. Um, you know, I, when you go through high school, I didn't get a chance to swim in the state championship meet. And I, I remember waiting for the uh, getting a ride home from our pool's custodian because he drove right by my house. I didn't have to take the, the, the public transportation. I'd get home about the same amount of time. And we had a big balcony, 1,200-seat natatorium. And I, I remember sitting up there. The coach instilled in us this, you got to want to, you got to want to. And I remember up there time crying my eyes out because I wanted to be a champion. I wanted it so badly. And, and, it, and it just brought tears to my eyes. It sometimes still does because I remember that moment. And so then I go to Indiana and then become this person. And, you know, it's it's kind of a fulfillment almost to a prayer. And, and, and I've always had that faith within me that, you know, that there's opportunities. But a lot of people blow by the opportunities. They don't take advantage of them. I tried to take advantage of as many opportunities as I was given. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so we graduated from Indiana. The swimming career at that time kind of ended, right? And uh, now we have a degree, and we have to go to work, and we become an educator, right? That's correct, yes. And, yeah. and, and talk a little bit about... Uh, you know, what you learned from swimming, what you learned from college, and how it applied to your educational career, because uh, you just weren't, I mean, you were a teacher at one point, but you were actually an administrator, and you had to influence other people. So, uh, talk about your education experience a little bit here. Yes, I I think the main thing, uh, Ray, is that you learn discipline and personal accountability. I don't think you can achieve any top performance without those two. And uh, you become self-reliant. But as a leader, I I was never an assistant coach. I was always the head coach and then the director of aquatics for a a city of 80,000 people in Des Plaines, just north of the terminal at O'Hare Airport. And so I trained kids in how to teach swimming. And by doing that, of course, you become a better instructor. And my teams went from last in the conference to second in the conference in a couple of years. Mm. So, I mean, you know, I had a good, good uh, staff uh, to work with uh, in the physical education department, but I I made the mistake of of resigning in my fourth year saying, I'm going back to get my PhD. I had hoped that I would be the coach that replaced my great coach at Indiana, Doc Councilman. And um, so I, I went back to my PhD at the University of Toledo, and that's where things started to formulate um, in, in my whole career. Okay. So, uh, you came back to swimming, much to my chagrin, okay? <laughs> and I think one of the questions I asked you when we did our pre-interview is, why did you come back? You know, you had all the success as a swimmer, and now you came back and you're swimming with us old people, a master swimmer. So, why did you come back? Well, the major reason, Ray, was because um, when you're swimming behind the world record holder and the guy who would have been the world record holder, you're always, take, you're always taking third in the meets. And it just ticked me off. So, 
I always wanted to be a national champion because I never remember I said I never got a chance to swim in the Illinois high school state championships. Mm -hmm. So I never had a chance to compete in, a, in a, on the world stage like that or a big stage. And uh, so this time I thought, well, you know, I, I was I was third in the country, actually third in the world in 1963. And I thought, well, you know, maybe it's time to put my, my, my suit on and see what I can do. <laughs> so at age 56, after coaching some All-Americans and doing stuff, I decided to get in shape and do it for myself. And it took me a couple of years to win my first national championship. So you were going to do that regardless of what. You, you were going to change the venue and make it work, weren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, you, have to, you have to bring it up. And, and I, and I, but, but the beauty of master swimming is I've gotten to meet wonderful people like yourself and Mike Freshley, our other nemesis. And he and I are like brothers. In fact, I'm going to go visit him here in early December in Orlando. But, um, no, it's, uh, it's a wonderful life, uh, and it's good for your health. I, I can't tell you how many times that uh, it's helped me to become a better person. Yeah, and I, and I think it helped you build kind of where we're going to. So I want to get one other segment of your life in here because I think it's important, too. Uh, you have six kids and how many grandchildren? Oh, <laughs> the beautiful thing is, uh, yeah, our daughter uh, is now expecting. So it'll be my 15th grandchild. But, wow. But, Ray, the other part of the story, see, I always wanted a big family. But the other part of the story I need to tell you is that it's taken me three wives to get it done. <laughs> so, I had, but I had triplets in the first marriage, uh, three months into my PhD program. So I had to complete a three-year program in two years. It was, I felt like a zombie. I only got four hours of sleep at, at, at a stretch. But um, the kids are wonderful. They live out here in San Diego with me. And, or I live out here with them, I should say. And our daughter is uh, married to a Marine who's a major and stationed at the 29 Palms. And uh, so we're close to them as well. They're only three hours away. So I, I believe in family. You know, relationships are what makes your life. Um, you know, all the other things can be said and done. But when, in the end, when it's all said and done, it's all about your relationships with the friends you have and your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now now we're getting to the culmination over here, and and uh, you know it's it it fascinates me how people's lives affect what they do, and of course in your case I think you had a lot to do with structuring your life and the way it went, uh, but you're in the process right now of of uh, finishing up a book. I think it's done. Uh, when when do we expect to see it, and what's it called? Well, the title of the book. It's all about leadership. It's called The Three Secret Skills of Top Performers. And the subtitle is Powerful Lessons in Transformational Leadership. The whole idea is to help people transform how they lead, whether you're the parent or you're a manager, director, CEO, even not, or an educator teaching your kids in a classroom. It's traditionally people have been using only extrinsic motives. You do this for me, and I'll reward you with this, like a quid pro quo. And I'm thinking that with so many people working at home nowadays with the, the virus and everything, we have to have a level of trust with the people doing the work. And you can't stand over them and beat them over the head with a stick and, and supermanage them. So you have to understand what their personal needs and values are of the people doing the performance and the work, whether you're the coach or the teacher or the parent. And when you do that, the person then feels like, hey, this guy, this person, my boss cares about me. 
that improves the loyalty, you have less turnover, and there are so many good things that come from that. And that's what leadership should be. Okay, so you're talking about this book. You keep referring in the book to this thing called the triad. So, so the triad is three. So, uh, so, so, give us an idea what these three principles are that that uh, you're building on. Yeah. Well, at a very early age, I think it was even the fourth grade when we read biographies encouraged by our teachers, and and I started to look at some of the commonalities because I thought, well, gee whiz, these are famous people. Maybe if I do what they do, I can model that, and that might help me to become a good person. And so over the 55 some years as an educator and a swimmer and being around top performers all my life, I've kind of seen what the commonalities are because my, my PhD work is in education, it's actually in person, it's in, excuse me, it's in behavioral, educational and personality psychology. That's where most of my coursework is. And so I began to see what the merged as three common factors and here's what they are. These are nothing like an inspirational talk that says, if I can do it, you can do it, or a motivational speaker that 48 hours later, you know, the usual cliches, persistence, commitment, they leave you. You're back to your old habits. But when you transform somebody, it's like riding a bike. Once you learn it, you never forget how. So here's what the three secret skills are. They came to me through prayer. So don't kill me. I'm just the messenger. <laughs> the, 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 first one is, the first one is you increase awareness. You know, even a butterfly wouldn't survive without antenna. And right. you've got to be aware, but so many kids today are just thumbs on their, their phones and they have no idea what even the temperature of, this, the, of the day is. And the next one is you've got to enhance self-evaluation. There's pre-performance as we do before a swim meet. During performance, if you have a bad event, you get ready for the next one or a bad golf shot, whatever it could be. And then, of course, most people wait until they screw up and then they say, then they do the post thing. 95% of people are great at that. But... You know, they didn't prepare for the interview properly in the pre, during, and so forth. Then the last one is, and top performers, I've noticed, top performers tend to not do enough of the third one. You've got to connect reward with reinforcement. What makes you want to go to work? It's not just a paycheck. It's helping people. And, um, and I've always enjoyed that part of my life, uh, helping people. So doing those three, you learn them in, in, independently, but you apply them interdependently altogether. And uh, it's it's a very powerful message. Okay, so when is this book going to be released, and how do we get it? Well, I'm thinking now of releasing it on Kindle for like 99 cents. Um, I'll have to get some uh, emails out to people to do that. I, I've got a group of people who are going to help me with that and um, pass along my emails. So when it's available, I'll, I'll make that known. But right now, of course, with everybody buying Christmas, but there's a lot of online shopping with Black Friday and so forth. I'm going to wait till that gets passed. Maybe probably mid-December, I'll do the Kindle thing. Okay. But then the second second week in February, I'm going to sell the uh, market the uh, the paperback version, 260 pages and um, seven by ten. It's a it's a good book, and uh, I'll offer it for seven dollars and ninety five cents. A relative and, uh, bargain of wisdom. Where where yeah. else can you get wisdom for seven dollars and ninety five cents? That's right, because yeah. it's if it's free, it's not worth That's it. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. So nice. we're going to post uh, your your website and how people get in touch with you with our podcast notes, and we're getting near the end of our time. But I but I have a couple of questions I want to follow up with you on here. What what I'm reading from here is that uh, you've taken your whole life, and this book is actually the culmination of all the 
all the learning, the things you've learned about uh, staying motivated, uh, peak performance. Uh, what am I missing here? I mean, you've, you've, you've got it over raising kids. You apply it to swimming. You apply it to your life as an educator. Uh, where are we going? Well, well, Ray, the whole thing is I, I call it the big four. Once you learn the triad performance improvement system, the whole design is to improve your, your performance in less time. But your application is to any job, and I explain that, tasks like doing your laundry. I mean, it's not fun, but you got to do it. And then you've got skills. I happen to be an author, a speaker, and a publisher. I have my own publishing company. And then, um, you know, you have relationships, uh, not just with mom and dad if they're still alive or your, your, your kids and so forth. But no matter even what religion you are, there's a higher power in your life, hopefully. And there's a relationship there. And um, so once you apply the triad, you get to apply it all the time in your life. And it goes on forever. Once you learn it, you can apply it forever. And that's what makes top performers. Okay, Dr. Pete Anderson, uh, it's been wonderful talking with you, and uh, we'll get you back again probably next year after the book's out of way, because I want to see where you're going with all of this. Uh, the life that you've lived here is one of being successful in a whole lot of different ways, uh, but you're not done, because the book is coming out at the later stages of, uh, of your career here, although you kind of retired from education, didn't you? Yes, I was a, a K-12 school superintendent, and uh, it was a small rural district in Southern Illinois. And, um, but I, I could see the, the frustration. I could see that there were teachers who were coaches, and then they would have classrooms right next to the teachers who didn't coach, and yet their students in their classrooms were really highly motivated, and then the teachers right next door to them weren't. Not. The yeah, and I could not understand that. And um, so that's what kind of drove me to write the book in the first place. To and, try to help educators. And so we'll all read the book and we'll master the triad and then we'll talk to you about next steps later. So, uh, again, have a great day and thanks for being with us. And, uh, Casey, uh, where are we going next? Uh, well, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> No, we'll be back in another week and um, have a very interesting um, talk with a friend that we've known for a long time, but haven't spoken to in quite a while. That's that's a. I have no idea where we're going. Now. Okay, but we'll see you in we'll see you in a week and uh, and stay tuned to meet one another one of the luckiest people in the world. And uh, Dr. P, thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Changing the Rules, a podcast designed to help you live your life the way you want and give you what you need to make it happen. Join us in two weeks for our next exciting topic on Changing the Rules with Casey Dempster and Ray Lowe, the luckiest guy in the world.